This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks to a suggestion by listener Art Drysdale, who lives here in Toronto, we're going to play an episode of Pat Novak for Hire. I had recently mentioned that Jack Webb, who is famous for playing Sergeant Joe Friday in Dragnet, of course, had also had a role as a private eye in a show called Pat Novak for Hire. And Art, I'm so glad you wrote me that note. I got such a kick out of the writing for this show. Dialogue like, you've been through a lot of tough spots, like a piece of bubble gum and a set of false teeth. And he couldn't find a brass ring in a dead man's nose. You'll actually hear those lines in tonight's show. Pat Novak for Hire is set on the San Francisco, California waterfront and depicts the city that Pat Novak knows, a dark, rough place where the main goal is survival. Pat's really not a detective by trade. He owns a boat shop on Pier 19 where he rents out boats and does odd jobs to make money. Typically, a person unknown to Pat asks him to do an unusual or risky job, and Pat reluctantly accepts and finds himself in hot water in the form of an unexplained dead body. Tonight's episode is entitled Dixie Gillian and was first broadcast November 24th of 1946. Cinderella lost a shoe and so she got a maid with lovely shoes a girl can't lose in gallon camp shoe raid. More miles to a gallon cap. Yes, gallon caps, the family shoe stores with the yellow fronts. The largest shoe chain in the West with stores from Canada to Mexico to serve the West. G-A-L-L-E-N-K-A-M-P-S Gallon Caps present Pat Novak for Hire. The sign out in front of my office says, Pat Novak for hire. Down on the waterfront in San Francisco, you always bite off more than you can chew. It's tough on your windpipe, but you don't go hungry. Down here, a lot of people figure it's better to be a fat guy in a graveyard than a thin guy in a stew. That way, you can be sure of a tight fit. Oh, I rent boats and do anything else that makes a sound like money. It works out all right if your mother doesn't mind you coming home for Christmas in a box. I found that out Wednesday night about 9 o'clock. I closed the shop early and I came home to read. Well, it wasn't a bad book if you ever wanted to start a forest fire. It was one of those historical things and the girl in it was just getting her second wind and her third man when the door to my apartment opened and the place began to get crowded. From where I sat, the crowd looked good. 
She sauntered in, moving slowly from side to side like 118 pounds of warm smoke. Her voice was all right, too. Reminded you of a furnace full of marshmallows. Good evening. Yeah, thanks for knocking. I don't think you mind my coming in without warning. No. I get the cabbage smell from next door the same way. Does it pay to be that polite, Mr. Novak? Saves you the trouble of saying please. What's on your mind? That bottle in front of you. Will you pour me a drink? No. You'll save dough if you look up a bartender. All right. I came to use you instead of your whiskey anyway. Talk. My name is Lee Underwood. I'll give you $300 to do something for me. It'll only take an hour. That's too much dough unless it's murder. And if it is murder, it's not enough dough. Are you afraid? I just don't like paid murder. I told you. When you get caught, the pain gets expensive. If it were murder, I'd do it myself. Mr. Novak, I want you to frighten someone for me. Why don't you hire a friend? Are they too pretty? It's a man named Dixie Gillian. You'll find him in an office down on Folsom Street at this address. I promise nothing will happen to you. That's what they told Billy Kahn. He'll be in this office until 11 tonight. I want you to go in and see him, tell him you're from Adrian, and that he's to get out of town by tomorrow noon. Suppose he wants to put it off. He won't. Don't let him know who hired you. Just tell him Adrian said to leave. Yeah. You better go home. For 300 bucks, I won't buy a tissue paper plot. Now tell me more or say goodbye. There's not much more I can tell you, except there won't be any trouble. He's a rotten little beast, and I want him frightened badly. Why? He's been bothering my sister. Why doesn't he bother you? Because I bother back too fast. Do you want the 300, Mr. Novak? Yeah, it's going to be a long winter. Put it on the table. Good. And you'll need this, too. No, you keep it. I don't want a gun. It's empty. Don't worry. See? No shells. It's perfectly safe. Now, look. I've got a nasty disposition. You can rent that for 300 bucks. But if you want more, find a gunsel or an off-duty copper, will you? I don't want you to be a gunsel. That's why I want you to use this gun. I know it's empty. If you use it on Dixie, he'll scare fast. It's just a way to save some bread. All right. It's your 300. You better go now. Yeah. Wait till I get a coat, will you? If uh, your doorbell rings, don't play mouse. Oh. Because I may... Look you up. Am I too young to ask why? Because if anything goes wrong, I'll be around looking for you. From there on, it won't be nice. I'll dirty you up like a locker room towel. Relax, Patsy. You'll never learn to fall in love that way. She handed me the gun and walked out of my apartment. Seeing her leave made you feel like Frank Buck losing an argument. She walked with a nice, easy swing of a satisfied leopard, and for a small leopard, she had pretty good spots, too. I put the gun in my overcoat pocket, and I went down to Folsom Street. The address was down near the bridge entrance, and the street was deserted except for a couple of winos near the corner trying to buy back 1926 at a dollar a jug. I stopped in front of the plate. It was a machinery company, and I could see a light burning in the back. I began to walk through the place. It was so quiet you could hear a worm with whooping cough, and there were enough shadows around to keep a ghost happy for years. When I got to the office back in the corner, through the glass, I could see a man sitting at the desk. When I opened the door and walked in, he didn't seem surprised. Come on in, mister. The bad on noise. Yeah? That's right. You make too much for a thief and not enough for a customer. What do you want? About ten words, if you're Dixie Gillian. Go ahead. You better look up a timetable. What makes you that tough? This. Oh. Why do you look tougher with a gun? Does it make you talk faster? I'm going to say it slow, mister. Pack up your rompers and get out. Is that you talking or somebody else? I'm just the guy with the gun. Adrian does the talking. And he says get out. That's right. You've got the whole message now. All right, you told me. So wander out and spend your dough. I will. You'll need part of it, though, because I'm going to give you an answer for Adrian. I'm going to take that gun away from you, mister. You can pick the pieces out of your head on the way home. You better stand back or I'll share it with you. You got your offer, mister. Let's see you make good. Save your muscle, fella. Drop that gun, will you? Save your muscle, fella. The gun's empty. 
Let's somebody fool this, mister. Sometimes you can get a home run with a half swing. That's the way it was this time. He couldn't have made it with a prayer book in both hands. He slid down to the floor and trembled for a moment and then flattened out like a leaf in a pool of water. Just before he died, he grabbed his side as if he didn't like the way it hurt. And then he didn't care. I rolled him on his back and let him look at the ceiling. His eyes were open and he looked surprised, like a guy who didn't figure on a change in the weather. There was a scar that ran across his forehead and dug deep into his hairline. And he was lying there with a bunch of pink gum showing as if he was trying to pick up a few bucks with a toothpaste ad. I didn't have time to tell him how sorry I was. Because if homicide caught me here, I'd have about as much chance as a canary in a basement full of cats. I started for the door. Right then, I knew I could start ordering birdseed. It was Hellman. And he walked over to have a look at the body. Hello, Novak. The guy looks embarrassed. Yeah, I guess he is, Hellman. What's he doing dead? Putting in a beef somewhere, I guess. He rates it. He'll like you for that, Novak. How did it happen? A team play. We worked it out together. But you've got the gun. That's right. I got the gun. You feel like a bet? No. Just keep stealing the old way. You know how I feel, Novak? Yeah, you feel flabby to anybody else, but to yourself, I suppose you feel good. Now, look. I walked in here with a gun. There was some quick fight talk, and I killed him, but it's still not a good rap. I can get a long price on it for you, Novak. I'll bet you can, Hellman. You can give me a bad deal, but part of the time, it'll be from the other side of the deck. Worse than that, Novak. It'll be all the time, and I want to watch it because I think you're going to be a crybaby. I'm going to scream, if that's what you mean, Hellman. I'm going to scream about a gal that sent me in here with an empty gun. That's a big hole for a cap pistol, Novak. I got a last-minute curve. It was empty once. Yeah. That's the only way they make a gun, Novak. I don't want you for an hour ago. I want you for this dead guy on the floor. All right, all right. I told you I didn't come in here to kill the guy. I don't know him. He may even be a good guy. I'm sorry he's dead. All right, Novak. Just wait a few weeks, and you can tell him personally. <laughs> Hellman had me up against the rail and he knew it When we left there, he was wearing a big toothy smile It was big enough to sew in his ears He called the coroner and he told him to pick up the stiff And then we rode downtown He dropped the gun into ballistics and he hauled me into his office The reporters were there He gave him the whole story and told him how to spell Hellman After that, we wound up at the desk and he booked me on suspicion of murder the next hour and a half was the kind of stuff they don't write about in the paper. They call it interrogation. When you're finished, you've been through a lot of tight spots, like a piece of bubble gum and a set of false teeth. About 11 o'clock, Hellman brought me into his office, and from there on, it happened kind of fast. I just talked to the DA. He's going to streamline things for you. Well, he's going to look funny. Going to trial on a guy you can't identify. I won't press you. I don't have to, Novak. I've got the only parley I need. You, the dead guy, and a big, fat murder gun. Yeah. Yeah, Hellman talking. Yeah, I know it was a thirty-eight. That crazy down in ballistics, I saw him standing over the dead guy. Well, they must have made a mistake, that's all. No, I don't want him in here. I don't want him in here. Hey, Tony. Tony, I... You're getting pale. You need some more rouge, Hellman. I got some bad news, Inspector. Well, keep it. Or you'll take more home to your wife. I'll talk to you later. No, talk to him now, Hellman. If the bullet doesn't match the gun, talk to him now. That's right, Inspector. A thirty-eight bullet, but it won't match the gun you brought in. It's got a match. I came in and found him standing there. He admits it. It's a neat trick, then. If he fired the bullet out of that gun, he retooled it in midair. I'm not that fast, Hellman. Get out of that chair so you'll have room to squirm. You keep still, Novak. Oh, I won't bother you. I'm going home. Huh? I'm walking out of your jail, Hellman. You've got a broken-down thirty-eight that won't fit anything but your thumbs. You can't hold me on that. I found you over the body. I can hold you on suspicion of murder. But it'll hurt tomorrow morning, Hellman. 
The papers will be down here for a follow-up. And you'll have to tell them what it looks like out in left field. I'll handle them. You can't afford to let them start laughing at you. People will get the idea it's your face. You can save Carter if you stay right here. Because I'll have you back by noon tomorrow. You're not that good, Hellman. You couldn't hold a moth with a searchlight. The town ought to thank you. Eh? Oh, it's a nice jail, Hellman. And with you around, it'll last for years. <laughs> We'll return to Pat Novak in a moment. You're going to put extra warmth and comfort in your Christmas wishes this year. How do I know? Well, because I've seen the Gallon Camp Christmas Gift Slipper Collection. You know, everybody's talking about it as the gayest, brightest idea on the gift shopping horizon. When you visit your neighborhood Gallon Camp store, well, then you'll know why. There you'll find slippers for every member of the family. Soft and cuddly warm ski capers for sis, handsome embroidered Chinese slippers for mom, warm shearling lined opera slippers for brother, and good looking smooth kid opera slippers for dad's fireside loafing. Yes, and there are appealingly soft and gorgeously colored shearling scuffs to delight the heart of any young lady from 16 to 60, and slippers for the little nippers. All are irresistibly comfortable, good looking, and irresistibly gallon camp price. Go to Gallon Camps, the store with the yellow front near you, to buy Christmas gift slippers that'll say Merry Christmas in a heartwarming way. Give more smiles with a Gallon Camp slipper gift. And now back to Pat Novak. When I walked out of headquarters, I had a nice mess to juggle. It was like trying to walk the baby on a floor full of marbles. If things didn't add up for Hellman, they weren't doing any better for me. I knew the gun I had went off. If it did, what happened to the bullet? Where did the other one come from? Why weren't there two shots? Oh, I couldn't put my finger on a thing and nothing added up. It was like trying to follow a grain of rice in a Shanghai suburb. I looked up Lee Underwood's address and I went by her apartment. A girl downstairs told me she worked at a nightclub out in the Bayshore Highway. Well, I had a couple of places to hit, so I looked up the only honest guy I know. An ex-doctor and a boozer by the name of Jocko Madigan. A good man until he began to figure the last drink in a bottle is just as easy to get as the first. Well, I found him in a little leather-trimmed sink on Powell Street. It was a grimy little hole where they wash the glasses once a week in stale beer, but Jocko was more at home than a vulture in Calcutta. Ah, uh, Patsy, you're just in time to celebrate my return to health. Something mild for Mr. Novak. Uh, a double stinger, perhaps. No, forget it, Jocko. i got to talk to you. Patsy, I've just passed through a crisis. Yeah. A few minutes ago, they set before me a glass with a woman's lipstick all around the rim. All right, Jocko. I took one gulp and looked at the glass, and in this dim light, I thought I was bleeding to get... Uh, bleeding to death. Uh, it took them ten minutes and three mirrors to calm me down. Jocko, I'm in trouble. you got to help me. No, but they washed the glass for me in, in ammonia. They must have left a little ammonia in the glass because the next drink had a very odd tang about it. I've had three more just like it. <laughs> a sort of ammonia calling. All right, all well, right. So far, they've been using domestic ammonia. When the imported stuff comes in, I may give up whiskey altogether. Calm down, will you, Jocko? I got a bum shake tonight. Yeah? I either killed a guy or I thought I did. And that uses up the alternatives. What are you doing now, taking a vote? I got hired to scare a guy down on Folsom Street. Ten minutes later, the guy was dead. Oh, Patsy, you take your work too seriously. Couldn't you have just scared him into a lingering illness instead of killing him? One of the props was an empty gun. Only when the fight came, it grew bullets. 
Hellman walked in right after on a telephone tip. What are you doing out of the electric chair? Oh, the whole thing backfired down at headquarters. The bullet and the phony gun wouldn't match. Jocko, it doesn't add up. The call to Hellman's a tip-off. I was framed. Why wasn't I framed all the way? Who is the dead man? It's a guy with a falling blood count. His name was supposed to be Dixie Gillian, but there's no identification and no record on him. Oh, you shouldn't have hired out as a gunsel. I told you I didn't hire out as a gunsel. It was somebody else's idea. Oh, you have no conscience, Patsy. Just a sort of soap opera rule of thumb you put into practice now and then, but no real conscience. You'd let a dying woman lie in the middle of the highway, unless her head was resting on a pile of war bonds. All right, Jocko, I'll cry with you later. I need help now. What sort of help? I want you to break into a girl's apartment. Yes? Don't worry, she won't be home. Oh, is that supposed to be an incentive? Here, it's at this address up on O'Farrell. Her name is Lee Underwood. She's the one who hired me. Well, if the girl's not there, what am I supposed to find? Anything that'll connect her with a dead man. He's a big guy with a scar. That doesn't help much. You can't miss. Go through the desk and the drawers, pick up everything you can, leave a message at my place, huh? Oh, as soon as I finish this drink. Hurry up, will you, Jocko? Leave the glass alone and get going. Don't rush me. Hurry up, the glass is empty anyway. Yeah, that's what you thought about the gun, but the fellow got an awful jolt out of it. Uh, good night, lover. I went by a horse parlor on O'Farrell Street and borrowed a car from a guy. It was after midnight when I started down the Bayshore Highway, and about a half hour later I pulled up in front of the Cat's Paw. It was a long, rambling place on the left side of the road. No, there was no plan. It just followed the erosion line until they ran out of material. There was enough neon in front to light a main intersection in heaven. I asked a 50-year-old busboy, and he said Lee Underwood was back in her dressing room getting ready for the one o'clock show. When I walked in, she was sitting in front of a mirror, working on an upswept hairdo. If she swept it up anymore, it was going to leave her head. I stood behind her, looking at the pink, fresh part of her neck that didn't show when her hair was down. You seem fascinated, Patsy. No. I just want to know where to break it. Oh. Sit down on the footstool here next to me. That's it. I like to look down on people. Here, let me brush that strand of hair back. Or do you like it in your eyes? Brush it back so I can see your answers. Who's Dixie Gillian? What difference does it make? None to him and some to me. He's dead. No. No, he couldn't be dead. He'd like to believe that, too. I couldn't sell him that story about an empty gun. He couldn't have been killed with that gun. No? No, I put in a blank, Patsy. Somebody used a hard-working bullet because Dixie's dead. There was no reason to kill him. I don't understand. That makes you even with homicide, but they got a bigger team. I don't understand it, Patsy. Who's Dixie Gillian? He was after some microfilm. I thought I could scare him away. You better be ready to identify him because homicide stopped. Even the scar didn't help. What scar? Scar across his face. There's no record on him. Oh, no, no, Patsy. Everything goes wrong. Everything you touch goes wrong. That's the wrong man, Patsy. Yeah. Well, it's too late for a recon. You've got to get to that body, Patsy. I don't know how, but some way you've got to get to him. Uh, you look good, Lee. You'll make a nice picture. Wait a minute, Dixie. You don't need your coat. Come on. I don't know how it happened, Dixie. I didn't mean it that way. If you like it that way, all right. Bring your boyfriend, too. No, don't let him, Patsy. Oh, that gun's too big. I'm going with him. It was a short trip. He led us out of the dressing room and down a thin hall to the back door. On the way past the kitchen, you could smell onions and used grease, and that's all you noticed except the sound of a jukebox somewhere out in front and someone laughing in a loud, mirthless way. When we got to the door, it was raining outside. We walked about 40 feet over near some trees where the dark was working overtime, and the gunsel made her stop. And that's where it happened. 
going to get wet, mister. You'll have a little trouble yourself. When I woke up, it was still raining, and I was lying on top of the mud like a stubborn seed. My wallet was gone, and the gunsel had ripped open my pockets. I stood up, and I walked over for a last look at Lee. The rain had washed the makeup off her face, and she looked small and tired as she lay there, like a broken doll that had been tossed out in the rain. I guess she was. I got to the car, and I drove back to town. I checked my place, but there was no word from Jocko, so I went up to Lee's apartment. When I opened the door, the room was dark, but I knew someone was on the floor. Either that, or they'd varnished the floor with bourbon. I flipped on the light and bent over Jocko. Ah. Wake up, Jocko. Come on, come on. All right, Jocko, wake up. Oh, a little ammonia. A little ammonia, I think, would bring me around. What happened? I was sapped, I guess. Yeah, everybody's got the same act tonight. Uh, Help me up. All right, come on. Where have you been? I went down to meet the girl. Huh? Where'd you meet her? In the swimming pool? I've been in the rain all night. She's going to stay longer. What'd you find out? Uh, the fellow with the sky is her husband. Yeah? There's a picture in the desk. Are there any more pictures? Oh, a few. Take a look. Where, in here? Yes. Well, well. Who is he? Must be Dixie Gillian. He was down to pay off a debt tonight. She called him Dixie once. Oh, there's a note with that name and address in the other drawer. He's our boy. We better get up there. Not if he's already killed two other people. We can't wait for Hellman. If he gets away, I'm all through. I won't have a leg to stand on. That's my point. When the other fellow gets through with us, we won't have much standing to do. I felt better now. Gillian was the only guy left in the picture. So I dragged Jocko up to his place. It was an apartment on Post Street. The elevator operator took us to the eighth floor and said that Gillian had come in a few minutes before. There was no answer, so we tried the door and it was open. Jocko didn't like the idea. Oh, Patsy, this is folly. Risking my life is one of the bravest things you do. Keep still, Jocko. What are we supposed to do? The door was open when I... So are a lot of graves, but I've never been tempted. Hey, look at the furniture. There's been a fight here. I'll look in here. You check in the bedroom. Uh, If I'm not right back, don't expect me at all. Yeah. Patsy! Patsy, come here! Yeah? There's somebody on the fire escape. Stand back here. Uh, He's not moving. He was leaning that way when I first saw him. I'll get on this side. You raise the window. Go easy, Jocko. Can you see him from there? Raise it a little more. He's still leaning there. I can reach out. Now watch yourself. If he's kidding, you'll lose an arm. I've got him. Raise the window more. Yeah. Oh, Patsy, he's falling. Give me a hand. Oh, here, let me through there. Oh, it's too late. I can't hold him. He's falling. I'm sorry. Yeah. He was probably dead anyway. Uh, if he wasn't, that was a step in the right direction. Oh, it was an easy night to die. Three of them had checked out already, and there was still time to look for more. Jocko and I went downstairs to see the guy. He was lying face down in the alley, and as you looked at him, you got the funny feeling he belonged there. He didn't disturb the scene. He just fitted in, like a dirty, wet newspaper under a grandstand. There was a gun in his pocket, probably the same one that killed the girl, but there was no way of knowing. Jock and I watched him for a moment, but your eyes begin to hurt when you see your only warm lead in a deep freeze. 
Well, it was past two when I got down to headquarters and I looked up Hellman. I briefed him on the girl and the guy in the alley, and then I asked him if any microfilm had turned up on the first guy in the morgue. It was a waste of time. Hellman couldn't find a brass ring in a dead man's nose, but we went over to the morgue for another look. So far, it was working out like a crossword puzzle torn in half. It's your time, Novak. I got more after tomorrow. You haven't. The microfilm must be on the guy. Three people have been killed for it, and I got roughed up just for laughs. We searched the guy once. There it is. Help me roll it out. Yeah. Well, well. He sure got thin under that sheet, didn't he? Wait a minute. Oh, you run a good morgue, Hellman. What'll the papers say when they hear the stiff got up and walked out? They got him in the wrong place or something. He didn't walk out. He's gone, Hellman. Have you got an answer? He's been moved, I tell you. The guy was dead and I saw him put him here. He couldn't be walking around with a hole in the middle of his back. Oh, I don't know, Hellman. You can do it with one in your head. Don't sell the guy short. We'll return to Pat Novak in a moment. Cinderella lost a shoe, and so she got a mate. With lovely shoes, a girl can't lose. In gallon, can't you wait? What girl hasn't dreamed Cinderella dreams of her own and wished for a fairy godmother to make those dreams come true? Here's what the newest Cinderella, Marilyn Buford, Miss America, says. The modern girl doesn't waste time dreaming. She makes her dreams come true, and she needs no fairy godmother to give her lovely shoes. She doesn't, that is, if she has discovered my favorite shoe store, Gallon Camp. Yes, Marilyn, for gracefully lovely shoes, flattering and in the latest fashions, wise girls go to Gallon Camps. Gallon Camps are shoe style leaders. And so amazingly priced, a girl can afford to have all the shoes she needs. And here's extra good news of a special Thanksgiving shoe sale. Yes, prices are actually going down on many of the up-to-the-minute shoe styles tomorrow at Gallon Camps. So shop this sale at the Gallon Camp store near you tomorrow to step assured into the exciting holiday activities ahead. Look lovely in Gallon Camps. Cinderella lost a shoe and so she got a maid. With lovely shoes a girl can't lose in Gallon Camp charade. And all back to Pat Novak. When Hellman found out the body was gone, he stood there and stared at the empty slab. And then he started looking around in a nervous way, like a man trying to find the sugar bowl at a restaurant counter. A few moments later, he turned and walked out of the morgue, and we were halfway downtown when it happened. It must have hit us at the same time, sharp and quick, like a piece of candy and a bad tooth. That guy back in the alley had come off that slab in the morgue. We got out to Dixie's place, and we began to check. There was a phone operator downstairs, and she said Dixie had put through a call about two hours ago. Hellman checked the number, and it was the ticket office of a railroad. We got downtown, and we ran through the timetable. There was a train leaving the Oakland Mole in 40 minutes. Oh, it was an outside chance, but tonight that was the only kind for sale. We got down in time to slide on the last ferry over to the Mole. It was still dark out when the ferry pulled away from the slip and started across the bay. Over toward the Berkeley Hills, it was beginning to get light. The sky was the color of a bruised spot on a man's arm. We'll get up to the pilot house and tell him not to dock until we've gone through all the passengers. He doesn't have to be in on this one. He'll check the train when he gets there. Wait a minute. You don't have to check. There's your boy. Where? Up there. On the rail. Well, you better go easy. He's not a scale model. Just 
Walk quietly until we're behind him. Yeah. Turn around, mister. He'll get a better view. Hmm? Oh. Well, hello, Novak. How was the wind and the rain in your hair? Meet Inspector Hellman. You better turn in your ticket. Well, I hope you brought your muscle. Grab it, Hellman. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do. All right, copper. What's it? I'm being pushed over on the rail. Yeah, I'm worried, Hellman. What's it, Novak? I'm going over. Novak! That's one down, mister. Now for you. Yeah. Well, I landed on the deck, and I watched him disappear in the dark. Halfway down, the guy turned in. I followed him down the ladder and along the main deck. He ducked into one of the engine spaces, and I started in to look for him. Oh, it didn't take long, because he turned out to be helpful. You got the idea yet, Novak? I'll come closer. Tell me then, huh? Suit yourself, but I'll knock you down hard when you show. Hey, watch that platform. You're backing into trouble. Stay back there, Novak. Watch out for that platform. You're backing into that engine. Look out. No! 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 Kind of wound up last, huh? Yeah. That's the way it looks. Did you get the microfilm? Yeah. Oh, I got a big hurt. Does it show? A little. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long night, Novak, huh? Yeah. But your worries are over. It's almost dawn. I don't know. I don't know if I can use it, but... I'll give it to you. Well, he fished Hellman out of an oil slick a few minutes later. It was the first time his hair ever looked good. Nixie Gillian lasted long enough to piece the story together for homicide. Lee Underwood was on the level. She knew her husband was carrying microfilm and was worried. So she hired me to scare off Gillian. It might have worked, too, because Adrian was too big for Gillian to argue with. But the first slip came when Lee's husband went by to make a deal with Dixie without telling her. Well, when I jumped him, Dixie was outside and figured it was a double cross. He didn't have time to figure it, but he killed him with a silencer when Lee's phony gun went off. Well, he spent the rest of the time looking for the microfilm. That's why Jocko got sapped and the girl got hers. And by that time, Dixie knew the microfilm was still on the dead man. The only way he could be sure was to get the body out of the morgue. He took it up to his apartment, and when he got the film, he planted the gun and put the body on the fire escape. It was safer that way. There was a 50-50 chance the police would miss it the first time around, and he'd have a fair lead. It almost worked out for him except for that phone call. The microfilm? Well, it was in a capsule next to the roof of the guy's mouth. Yeah, so old it was new again. Well, Hellman asked only one question. In that fight, did I have anything to do with pushing him against the rail? I told him, sometimes those ferry boats roll as much as 45 degrees. Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy with their special guest, Carmen Miranda. The Charlie McCarthy Show! This is 
John Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you from the Pasadena Playhouse, Pasadena, California. On behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarty, Ray Noble and his orchestra, Anita Gordon, Mortimer Slurk, Pat Patrick as Ursula Swing, Jack Mather, and our special guest, Carmen Miranda. And here are Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> Well, here we are again, back in California. Yes, yes. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, I tell you, Bergen, this racing across the country, oh, this mad pace, it's getting me down. Yes. Oh, yes. I feel lower than a gopher's garter. Is that true? <laughs> uh, well, you suffering. What, think of the pioneers who came across the country in a covered wagon? Did you have a nice trip? Oh, <laughs> Yes, uh, you don't appreciate the many luxuries of today. Is that so? Yes. What would you do if you were, well, say, uh, oh, shipwrecked on a desert island? Oh, I'd, uh, I'd get along. The question is, what would you do? I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd salt in an open wound, you know. <laughs> I don't think either one of us would handle the situation as well as Robinson Crusoe did. Because, uh, oh, he was the guy who was macarooned on an island. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's a very interesting story. When I was a little boy, I read the story over and over. Yeah? Yes. Nothing stayed in that little square head, did it? No. <laughs> I'll be glad to tell it. Well, we didn't ask for it. Yes. <laughs> there are many versions of the story of Robinson Crusoe. Could we have the silent version? Yeah. <laughs> How did he get on the island? That's the only thing I want to know. Well, I'll tell you. Good. He was shipwrecked at sea. Hmm. Every sailor lost his life except Robinson Crusoe. Uh-huh. How do you suppose he escaped from drowning? Uh, well, he, uh, he missed the boat. No. <laughs> well, I was trying. <laughs> he tied some floating logs together and built himself a raft. And then on this log, on this raft, he was floating along, and he floated and floated. And finally, he saw an island, and he cried, Land ho! Land ho! I'll drop dead. Land ho! Land ho! He landed safely on the island and lived there all alone. Days went into weeks, weeks went into months, and months went into years. And that's as far as you can went. Yes. <laughs> His hair grew long and unsightly. Power great, that's why. <laughs> Being the only one on the island, he walked the beaches with impunity. One day he saw footprints in the sand. Who do you suppose it was? I think it's that guy impunity. No. <laughs> I never trusted him. Shifty eyes, all right. <laughs> I shouldn't say that he walked alone or that he lived alone. You shouldn't even tell the story. <laughs> he did have for companionship a green parrot. A green parrot? Yes. Couldn't he get a ripe one? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't know. Yes. But all the parrot could say was, hello. And goodbye. That's all. That's all. He wasn't much for long visits, was he? No. <laughs> but one night, one night he saw a fire burning on the far shore. Yeah. And so upon investigating, he discovered a tribe 
a tribe of cannibals. Cannonballs? Cannibals. <laughs> and they had uh, captured a man. What do you suppose they were going to do with this fire? Have a wing, you know? No. <laughs> they were going to throw this man in the fire and eat him. Sounds tasty. All right. <laughs> now, Robinson Crusoe didn't want the cannibals to eat this man. He wanted to eat him himself. No, no. <laughs> so to frighten them away, he fired his gun. Bang! <laughs> Why don't you look where you're shooting? <laughs> The man is so realistic. <laughs> Upon hearing the shot, the cannibals jumped into their boats. And reluctantly said farewell as they sailed into the sunset. No, no. No, <laughs> uh, no, no. Why? Well, they didn't go that way at all. Is there another way? Oh, yes. <laughs> so Robinson Crusoe saved this man's life. And because it all happened on Friday... Yeah? What, what do you think he called him? Well, I don't know. I wasn't there. I... It all happened on Friday. You said that. What do you think he named this man? There is a clue, isn't there? Yes, of course. <laughs> isn't that disgusting? I, I, I feel I'm so close to it. Too. <laughs> what day did it happen on? Friday. Friday. I feel that's a clue. Yes. <laughs> uh, Meatless Tuesday? No. <laughs> No, he called him Friday. I would have never guessed it. All right. So Friday fell on the sand. Lucky he didn't fall on the 13th. Yeah, all right. <laughs> and he put Caruso's foot on his head to signify a sign of servitude, a pledge of lifetime of work. Bergen, get your foot off my neck. All right. <laughs> now, Charlie, what is the moral of this story? Well, Bergen, the moral is... No matter how bad things are, Bergen will tell you a story and make them worse. All right. <laughs> Ray Noble is talking to Anita Gordon. I'll bring you the man with the Stanley Steamer. <laughs> Take the ride that you plan in your family steamer. That you plan in your family steamer. 
in your Stanley Seymour An ice cream bar? Yeah, ice cream bar. Oh, I spend it a whole dime on it. Yeah? Yeah. All at one place? Yeah, yeah. I reckon I'm just one of those wild uh, playboys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it, lo- it looks like an Eskimo pie to me. Yeah. Do you know why they call it that? Because it's made out of Eskimos? No, no. No, Eskimos are people. Oh, how do you do? Yeah. Yes, you see, they live up in the Arctic. Well, not up in our Arctic. No. <laughs> We just got we just got mice and turn mice up in our attic, yeah. No, I mean they live up up north. Oh, up north, yeah. Oh, oh, Yankees. That's right. <laughs> yes, they live in that fascinating land of the northern lights. Mm-hmm. You've heard of the aurora borealis? Oh, have I? Yeah. <laughs> Have you what? Uh, roaring uh, boric acid? Yeah. <laughs> Might have heard the aurora borealis is a luminous phenomena of the Arctic atmosphere. Mm. A phantasmagoria of colored lights caused by progressive electric discharges. Oh! <laughs> Where the Eskimo lives, there's nothing but snow and icebergs. Do you know what they eat up there? Icebergers? No. No, <laughs> no they eat raw meat. Yeah. They often kill whales for their blubber. Do you know what they use the blubber for? No, make blubber gum? No. no. <laughs> and it's so cold up there, they live in igloos. Of course, you know what an igloo is. It's a baby igloo. Baby igloo, no. <laughs> Well, what is, what is uh, one of them uh, glue-eggs? No, not glue-eggs, egg glue. <laughs> I came in the back way, I guess. Oh, yeah. Eskimos, you know, have some very amusing customs. They do? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what? No, I doubt it very much. You doubt, <laughs> you doubt what? I don't know. You don't know. Mortimer, you're not listening to what I'm saying. Well, I am so, too. Yeah? Well, then what did I say? You said I wasn't listening to what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was about to tell you that they kiss by rubbing noses. Yeah? Yes. Well, I guess I'd be out of luck up there. (laughs) 
Why is that? Oh, I can't make my nose pucker. Ah, you got Oh, man, how can you be so stupid? Oh, I specialize. Oh. Say, <laughs> Edgar, if you've had enough of Mortimer and his Eskimos, here's someone from the South to saw you out. Miss Carmen Miranda. Oh, So happy for you to see me in colors. How is my little stick in the muddy pie? <laughs> oh, Carmen, you look good enough to eat. Yes. Oh, Carmen. Especially like that fruit salad on your head. Yes. <laughs> Hello, okay. you. My feet don't get tongue when you can't go to the dance. Oh, I know it's going to kill me, but I won't quit it. You, you give me Portuguese pimples. Oh, Did you know something different? No. I have lost my accent. <laughs> no one will ever notice it. <laughs> Carmen, I, I want you to act in a show that I've written. I don't understand. Well, you see, I I am making a play for you. Oh, you always did, you little wolf in the grass. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't understand. Uh, I've written an opera just for you. Oh, Carlos, you should not have done it. No? And I ain't kidding. No. <laughs> well, you, you will be the star, and you're going to sing in it. Oh, I love that, Carlos. And I show you how good I can sing now. Okie doke. Okie dokie, wee oui, wee, oui, bonjour, and oh, I sling that Brazilian dog. Eu vou fugir, 
version of the opera, Carmen. Tell him about it, Dean's Carpenter. Very well, Charlie. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness a musical mutilation of the opera, Carmen, by Charles Bizet McCarthy. <laughs> the opening scene is in a cigarette factory where we find two girls in their early nicotines. <laughs> the house lights dim and go out, but you can't because we've locked the doors. <laughs> and now the curtain reluctantly rises as our Hooper descends. Yeah. Oh, Anita, what is it, Carmen? I'm so sick of this tobacco factory. All day long bending over a hot cigarette. <laughs> the boss told me he'd move me to the package department as soon as I learned to count to 20. Then I won't have to wrap paper around this corsuk anymore. Why don't you be like me? I just wrapped the boss out on my fingers. Jiggle, jiggle, here comes the senor Salpus. Yeah. I can't figure out what's come over this younger generation we have now. They act like crazy screwballs. Senor Swenson, I want to go home. I'm not feeling well. Is that so? Well, you don't look sick. But I am. I'm sick as a dog. Is that so? Well, let me feel your nose. <laughs> but I feel so bad because I have to go to my grandma's funeral. Oh, so that's how it is, huh? Well, that's three times that your grandma has died lately. <laughs> well, she's up, she's down. She never has been very, very well, you no, know. I guess not, no. no. Well, you ain't fooling me, young lady. You always want to get off every time that Carlos McCarthy is fighting the bull. Oh, he's so handsome, yeah. so handsome. And I'm so lonesome. Then you know something. Mm. I am lonesome, too. <laughs> now, what do you say, Carmen, my cutie, huh? Oh, you Scandinavian Gregory Peck. Yeah. <laughs> The South American Yane Russell, the, uh... <laughs> the, what you say about joining me in a little smurgos board? I have imported herring and loot fist. <laughs> we say Wednesday evening, huh? Cute Wednesday? Time. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think my grandma, she's going to do it again. <laughs> I guess so, because I go myself. Hello. <laughs> Why did I ever become a bullfighter? I wish Carmen were here to give me courage. Oh, where is that valley of mine? Raimondo, Raimondo. Uh, yes, your Toreador ship. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you hear me calling you? Oh, sigh, sigh. <laughs> did my new Toreador outfit arrive? Oh, sigh, sigh. How does it look? Oh, so, so. Okay. <laughs> I said, perhaps you'd better wear the bushes that you bought in Mexico. No, they're a little too tight south of the border. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think the jacket's very smart. I mean, look at all those buttons. Genuine mater of pearls. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah? Well, tell me honestly, how do I look? Is it a fit? Oh, 
well, you might say it's a fit in an epileptic sort of way. <laughs> oh, colors, my little wonderful, terrific, and sensational fighter. You look so beautiful. Oh, so you two have found it out, huh? Oh, you look just like a page out of a scroll. Yeah. And I'm going to put you in, put you in, put you in, put you in, put you again. Ready? <laughs> I can't stand it, Carmen. You mustn't do it. Why don't you like me to put you? Huh? Other men do. Other men, uh-huh. Carmen, I am afraid you are tickle. What kind of a tickle? A sweet tickle or a bill tickle? <laughs> <laughs> a hot tomato tickle. <laughs> Begging my pardon, senor. Could you tell me which way is it to Alvarez Street? Yeah. <laughs> what is this, an alley? Yeah. Will you get out of here and take that Tijuana accent with you? <laughs> I have to go now. I must not keep the bull of eating. <laughs> oh, Carlos. <laughs> Carlos, my... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carlos, my handsome Toreador, take care of yourself, will you? Yeah. Oh, but, sir, sir, you don't have to worry, sir. No. No, no, the fight's been fixed, and you're going to win. I talked it over with the bosses. Yeah, but did you talk to the bull? <laughs> no, not yet, but he's right outside. I'll bring him in. All right, I'd like a word with him. Uh oh, Ferdinand. Yeah. <laughs> now, Senor Bull, you understand you are going to let Carlos win, huh? Yes, sir. <laughs> I've worked out something spectacular. We're going to use the T formation, and you come running around my right end. And what I mean is way around it. <laughs> and I'll use my rubber sword. And of course, in your bull, you wear your rubber ornaments. Don't you know that? <laughs> yeah, and for a finish, you roll over and play dead. Got it? It's in the bag. <laughs> Don't slam the door. No, I told you not to slam the door. I'm sorry. I get out of here. Spanish troubadour, and they call me Whispering Earth Wing. Are you a wandering troubadour? Well, not exactly. Uh, well, yes, I am, too, because, well, I keep wondering how I ever got into this business. What's your favorite song? Uh, my favorite song, uh, let's see, uh, I think it's a song about my girlfriend, Bessie. Bessie who? Uh, Bessie Mae Mucho. Oh. <laughs> you know Tico Tico? Uh, no, but I can give you Tico for Tuco. That's good. Make mine with lemon. Well, I, I can't quite do that, uh, but I can sing it sour. That I believe. Don't be smart. Friends, I, uh, you haven't in, have just, please, I have just... <laughs> A new song, and it's called... Would you like to know the title of the song? We didn't ask. Yeah. <laughs> it's called, uh, What Are You Doing, Groundhog Day Eve? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I have another, another peachy one that's entitled, uh, and I quote... What else? Uh, are you paying attention? Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, oh, this gladsome day, mother-in-law has ended her stay. <laughs> You're 
like songs, but does anybody buy them? Does anybody buy them? Yeah. Well, for goodness sake, my gosh, does anybody buy them? I'll have you know, I also write songs for royalty. Oh, for the king and queen? No, for the jack. Oh, for the jack. <laughs> also, I was asked to sing at Princess uh, Elizabeth's wedding, too. For goodness sake, what were you going to sing? Royal. Oh, oh, yeah, we know. <laughs> rich, rich, rich. Well, you want to hear a song that we know? Oh, one that you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, all righty. <laughs> Hands across the border. No, no, no. No, well, I got the wrong key. I'll get right here. Hands across the border. You know, this could easily start a war between Mexico and the state. <laughs> but as far as I'm concerned, I'll have you know that I am not here today and gone tomorrow. No? No, I'm here today and gone today. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Our Miss Brooks, followed by female detective Candy Matson. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.